Hi, everybody. Welcome to the November 8th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Today, we'll be covering the results of Tuesday's election. So let's get started with a quick take on the overall voter turnout. Patty Calhoun from Westward, it seemed that the Republicans held tradition on an off-year election. They maintained their advantage, uh, even though they don't have the advantage on overall registration. Surprised? No, because this has been our tradition. They vote early. They vote often. Democrats are very, very tardy, and depending on what county they're voting in, they're confused. <laughs> <laughs> David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. Uh, what did you take away from the, the turnout? It, th- there weren't a lot of really uh, spicy races that were on top of the ticket. As soon as you got into the communities, it got spicy. But the top of the ticket was a little sleepy for an election like this. Th- th- was that part of it? Well, sure. We're, we're in an off-off year. Uh, turnout was 36%, and certainly the, the Colorado legislature has done everything possible uh, to make it easy to vote. You know, you, you go to high school, you, you get a driver's license, you, you basically get automatically registered to vote, and then they, they send you a, a ballot. Uh, so it, it couldn't be more convenient, and 36% chose to participate, and I think that's fine. I, I think if you don't, if you feel you don't know enough about the issues uh, to vote intelligently, uh, then you shouldn't, and, and it's okay to make that decision. Eric Sonderman, political analyst and a weekly columnist at Colorado Politics. Uh, Eric, does the turnout from this year's election do anything to affect strategies for future off-year elections? Maybe, but I think it all has to do with what's on the ballot. You stole my word, Dominic Sleepy. It was a, a sleepy election, and sleepy elections draw sleepy turnouts. Uh, it started, you know, when the ballot, a week out, the Republicans had an eight-point advantage in turnout, but then with voters showing up on Election Day, et cetera, it narrowed to a two-point gap. I think the real story is not the partisan divide in turnout. It's that this electorate was a very old electorate. I mean, I, th- I read 70% north of age 55. Uh, and that, you know, somewhat corresponds to partisanship, but not totally. So um, a lot of gray hairs voting this year. Well, it's great to welcome a new face to the table, Josh Downey, president of the Denver Area uh, Labor Federation. It's great to have you here. Uh, what did you take away from the turnout and the numbers and what it might pose for the future? Well, thanks for having me, Dominic. Uh, let me say that, you know, I, I, I believe that actually the turnout is trending in the right direction. And as far as we saw more women and people of color, and was, we're looking at the Aurora returns that are still coming in, we are seeing disadvantaged voters that haven't traditionally voted had voted, they just voted late. So I think that's a good sign, and as we move into 2020, I'm optimistic about progressive chances. After a very late start to their campaign, the proponents of Proposition CC lost on Tuesday. Supporters of the measure gave signs that the Tabor issue will be back on the ballot again in 2020. Meanwhile, Proposition DD passed by a whisker, with the decision still in doubt throughout Tuesday night. Uh, Patty, at one point around this table, you had your predictions on for elections would be the kiss of death. You've now become our Nate Silver. I think you called this one right on the head. Uh, what did you think of the results from both, and do you think we'll see another Tabor issue in 2020? I think we'll see another Tabor issue, and maybe we'll actually see a campaign for it, which we didn't see much of this year. It was interesting. I was hearing Casey Becker partly blame the failure of CC on, on the turnout, low turnout, which... This was not a historically low turnout, and maybe more people would have turned out if there had been a compelling campaign for CC. 
which you just didn't really see. You saw TV commercials with one woman worrying about fixing some roads, and that was it. There was not a really good argument. It didn't have a face the way previous attempts to um, push tape, push a ta- debrucing ha- has. You know, there was no Owens out there, you know, fast tracks push. There was no Polis. I mean, you barely saw him. He certainly was nowhere around during election. So you need a campaign that's compelling with some real care, some real faces from the state pushing it and saying why it's important so you can counter the geniuses at the Independence Institute <laughs> who are out front early and celebrating big. Uh, it wasn't a surprise CC went down. There were flawed language and a bad campaign. DD had a pretty good campaign. They had a lot of money because, of course, people are going to make a lot of money up in the mountains off this. So that it passed wasn't surprising. That it was as close as it was was surprising. Uh, David, there's, there's kind of this odd juxtaposition in Colorado where a whole lot of smaller communities have, quote, debruced themselves over, let them keep the funds if it's something for a firefighter district or a city or a particular county. But statewide does not tend to go well unless, like we had the whole uh, the coalition around Ref C. What do you think is that distinction between a statewide ask and many of these smaller community and county asks? Oh, credibility. So if the, the, the money will be spent on what they say it's going to be spent on. So, for example, say that the Boulder Valley School District says, if we collect excess property taxes, can we just keep it? And voters Boulder said yes, because they had a guarantee that all that money would be spent on the Boulder Valley School District. Uh, the reason why the Independence Institute has been uh, successful now, and this is now number five for us in defeating participating in a coalition uh, to help defeat uh, massive statewide tax spending or, or debt increases is the record, and it, all, even while being far outspent by the tax consumer side of this, um, the, the credibility. You know, the, the one major thing that did pass was Referendum C uh, years ago, and Hank Brown was then the president of the University of Colorado, former Republican senator, and a great proponent of referendum C because he said, you know, CU needs more money, and so does the whole education system. And then he found that despite all the promises that were made in the campaign, they, the legislature just used creative accounting, and CU got practically nothing out of this supposed uh, windfall that they were going to get. And that's why he was on the coalition and a spokesman against referendum CC this time. And it was the, the same kind of skepticism as there was, yeah, if you looked at the ads with their phony, you know, conglomeration of newspaper articles, yes, this will be, we'll spend it on roads and schools and things like that. But there was nothing binding in there. And this time, the, the, I think the voters said, well, you know, this is Lucy swiping the football away from Charlie Brown and we won't get fooled again. And if they maybe came back with something more genuinely binding, like, like they did on DD, where you, you know actually the little bit of money they're going to collect from it is actually going to be spent on water, uh, they were more favorable to that. Eric, you and I were both the opinion last week that perhaps the fact that the campaign started so late would be kind of a genius move. That fell flat pretty quickly, as uh, many of our predictions made uh, uh, lately. But what did you think about the, the final turnout and the final results and what that should give supporters as they plan, make any plans for 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think we speculated that maybe there was sort of some perverse genius behind not running a campaign. I think, uh, 
you know, there was neither, per, maybe there was perversion, but no, uh, but, but, but no gene, genius. Uh, this thing was sort of mishandled from the beginning. Uh, it was conceived late in the legislative session. The governor was lukewarm about it from the get-go. The governor spent the summer trying to cobble together an alternative, but could never get Democrats and Republicans to agree. It is not lost on me that on election night, the governor was literally about as far away from Colorado as you could be. He was in, on a trade mission in India uh, on election night, left Casey Becker to deal with the press and issue the concessions uh, statement and, and all the rest. Uh, and, and, and there was really no campaign. It didn't even start in a public way till early October. And that, uh, that's not a campaign. In terms of what this means, you know, it had none of the elements of REFC that we're talking about, none of the elements of REFC. Uh, in terms of what this means going forward, I, I know there are you know, people out there, and they were quoted within 24 hours after uh, the election results of saying, we're going bigger next year, we're going bolder, we're going to do a full Tabor repeal, maybe we'll do a graduated income tax, even though that just was voted down uh, very recently. I think before they even talk to the general public, which is going to be a very tough sell, they have to put their allies together. They have to get the Jared Polises on board. They have to get Democratic legislative leadership on board. And I'm not sure there's much appetite for that. Uh, if you cannot pass something as tepid, and I regard Proposition CC as rather tepid, then uh, the, uh, to make the case that there's appetite for big, bold Tabor reform, I don't get it. I think there are a lot of people out there who think Tabor is the devil incarnate, and Tabor is problematic, but they have to get out of their bubble and go talk to some people for whom Tabor works rather well for them, and they're proud of it. Uh, Josh, there's, uh, it is very true that you're going to get a whole different batch of voters in 2020 around a whole lot of other issues, uh, uh, notwithstanding the presidential race. So it is going to be an entire, uh, entirely new environment, but was there anything to take away from this current CC experience that would inform that even with a relatively different electorate in 2020? You know, I think Patty hit the nail on the head. CC had an uphill battle all along, and there for two reasons. The first is that it's addressing a bureaucratic problem that doesn't exactly pull at people's heartstrings. Um, and then second, there was always going to be millions of dollars from Americans for Prosperity and other organizations that was getting get dumped in to maintain the status quo. Um, I think if we learned anything from this, it's that in order to win, we have to have a compelling vision and a real narrative that draws people in. Patty had mentioned DD. It, it did that with the commercials. I think they were actually compelling. Now, it, it won narrowly, but it won. And at the end of the day, that's what we have to take forward. Without that compelling narrative, without a vision, we won't get where we need to get to. Municipal races in Aurora were so close that it took two full days until the winners were projected. Former Congressman Mike Kaufman is the likely winner of the mayoral race, but only has a 273-vote lead over progressive Omar Montgomery. Arapahoe County has over 1,000 ballots to be cured, and it's still unknown how many of those are from Aurora. Non-incumbents Juan Marcano and Allison Coombs pulled ahead in their city council races when the final votes were counted. Uh, David, Mike Kaufman is used to close races, but 273 votes is pretty close, and it's, it's still not done. But what does this say to you about Aurora with this kind of a close match? Or it might even be 237. Um, Good point. But I, I think, uh, well, Aurora is the, the swing county of, of Colorado, ab absolutely. 
Uh, Kaufman's a, a very strong campaigner, but uh, his leading opponent would also prove to be a strong campaigner and obviously got a, a huge boost of, of out-of-state money from the, uh, the, the gun ban lobby. Uh, Ryan Frazier, I, I think Montgomery and, and Kaufman are, are both, in a sense, winners because they, they did really well. Uh, Ryan Frazier came in with 16 percent. Uh, Colorado politics, somewhat unkindly, but maybe not inaccurately, uh, referred to him as the Harold Stassen of, of Colorado politics. He was an Aurora City Councilman who then, af after winning those races, uh, has gone zero for five in various things. Harold Stassen was a uh, moderate Republican governor of Minnesota in the 1940s and was a very serious presidential contender, uh, didn't make it after two or three times, you know, Eisenhower and others got the nomination. But then he kept on running for the Republican nomination on and on and on again, where he, he went up ultimately with a zero and nine uh, record in seeking the Republican presidential nomination. Um, so I, I'm, if Ryan Fraser hadn't been in this race, Kaufman probably would have won it by a more comfortable margin. Eric, uh, Kaufman, so far from what we can tell, is going to win by a whisker. The non-incumbents win from coming behind in the last uh, uh, hours of the, the election night. It doesn't seem that either one of them would walk into the Aurora City Council chambers with a mandate. So does that actually bode well for Aurora City government and how they will actually be working together, in, especially in a polarized environment like we are in right now? Yeah, I mean, if you believe that somewhat divided government or somewhat tentative government is not all bad, I don't think there's a conclusive outcome uh, in Aurora. It was amazing that uh, Kaufman had a big lead. When I looked at it on election night, I think it was... 38% Kaufman, 31, barely 31% for Montgomery, and now we're down to, you know, uh, point something difference in 273 votes. I appreciate David's update on Harold Stassen. Uh, that was not, did not come to the show prepared for a discussion of Harold Stassen, but that was, that, that was good to have. Uh, I don't see the two, unless there's a major abnormality, the 273 probably there are not enough votes out there to change it. Uh, I'm told that maybe out of the 1,000 votes still to be counted in Arapahoe County, maybe 500 at most are from the city of Aurora. By my math, Montgomery, even leaving out the other candidates like Ryan Frazier and Marcia Burzins, um, Frazier, excuse me, Montgomery would have to win three-quarters or more of those outstanding votes. It seems like a, a tall order. If there's anything bothersome, and it's not just about Aurora, we saw it in Arvada too, it's that nonpartisan municipal elections, there have always been a minor element of partisanship to them, but now partisanship is becoming part and parcel of where they are. This was, uh, you know, Kaufman became the Republican candidate for obvious reasons. That's his background. Montgomery became the Democratic candidate. We saw the same play up in Arvada. Uh, you know, partisanship is everywhere these days. Can we keep it a little bit lower key in these municipal races? That's probably a losing battle on my part, but I'll make the plug. Always love your optimism, Eric. Uh, Josh, uh, Omar uh, Montgomery uh, has not conceded, doesn't have to until the final vote is counted, uh, but he has definitely shown himself as a formidable candidate so far in this race. Uh, do you see a future for him in other races with making a uh, significant play in this one? Absolutely. You know, it's worth noting that, uh, that Representative Kaufman dropped 
uh, $500,000 that we know of in this election. Omar was outspent five to one and is still within 273 votes. And the reason why is because he had a compelling narrative. Uh, going back to my CC point, you know, he talked to and connected with voters in Aurora about making their lives better, making sure that people were making a decent wage, that they had health care. Um, and, and so I believe he's a, he's a force to be reckoned with, and I think we'll see him again. Patty, I am uh, born and raised in Denver. I've always loved the city, uh, so it's uh, near and dear to my heart. But it's seeming to me that Aurora is becoming a little bit more interesting than Denver. You have a more interesting, you have a more diverse population, ethnicity, age, politically, and its politics are a little bit more interesting. What do you think? Well, in fact, we said that on our cover two weeks ago that Aurora was Denver's uh, was Colorado's most interesting city. Part of it is the huge percentage of people in Aurora who are immigrants from other countries and every country imaginable. I mean, it is a huge, huge population. Uh, Some are refugees from horrible situations. And what the city has done to try to accommodate them, to make them feel at home, to educate them, it's challenging, but I think it's been working. So that's one really interesting angle. Just the fact that you've got Colfax running through it and they're dealing with the same issues there that Denver is, but they're kind of doing them in interesting ways. They're doing more for the arts right now along Colfax than Denver has been doing. So Aurora is a growing city with a lot of challenges, and one of them is going to be a divided government right now. But that's fun, too. I mean, Denver City Council is a lot more fun to watch now that you've got Candy C. DeBaca (laughs) taking on Michael Hancock. And I think you want that kind of yin and yang in your government. You want to have discussions, and Aurora needs them. One of the rallying cries during the latest teacher strike was heard, flip the board. That came to fruition this week as the teachers union bat candidates won the majority of the school board for the first time in years. Union endorsed candidates include D- in DPS included Tay Anderson, Brad Lorvik, and Scott Balderman. Uh, Eric, uh, to have this kind of a uh, teacher union backed majority in DPS, we haven't seen this for a long time, what effect do you think it's going to make on recent reforms in charter schools in Denver? Well, I think we will tell over time, but it will have an impact. I mean, this board did flip, and you know, probably a few people, voters flipped them off, uh, if you will, uh, in the process. Uh, what I found interesting about this election was how not close it was. I mean, this was a decisive, conclusive uh, election result. As somebody who has identified with the reform movement, who's been involved in charter schools, uh, I think you have to take it to heart. And uh, I think the people I talk to uh, who I'm aligned with on this, uh, do take it to heart. I think uh, the reform movement, quote-unquote, in Denver had a good 15- or 20-year run, dating back to Michael Bennett's time as superintendent. Nothing lasts forever. Pendulums do swing. This one was due to swing. It swung hard. Perhaps the reform movement, again, in quotation marks, had grown somewhat tired, somewhat entrenched, somewhat argue somewhat insular. Um, and, and, you know, now let some other people get up to bat and take a whack at it. If, if their agenda is to bridge the divide, where there is definitely a divide in this city around education issues, God bless them. If their agenda is to get more money into classrooms and reduce administrative bloat, God bless them, and they will, they will find a lot of support. If their agenda is to limit people's choices and, and reduce choices, people, particularly for black and brown and, and uh, impoverished families in really lousy schools, Uh, I think they will have a fight on their hands. Ditto if they try to reduce accountability mechanisms. But uh, it's interesting times in Denver, and uh, there's probably a silver lining there. 
Josh, what do you think are the key issues that this new majority would like to see accomplished? You know, I think that, um, well, let me just say first that, that the impact of the Denver teachers strike not only impacted Denver, but we saw um, teachers union endorse candidates. Uh, two seats were won in Aurora, three seats in Douglas County. So this had ripple effects far beyond Denver. I would also say that, uh, you know, Eric mentioned that the reform movement had a good run. I would argue that it actually um, wasn't a good run. The reform movement led to schools in neighborhoods being closed down. It's not much of a choice when your school in your neighborhood gets closed down. So when we talk about issues front and center, first and foremost, it's keeping our neighborhood schools up and running um, and open. Uh, it's stopping the privatization of our schools, and it's making sure that we can retain good educators in, in our city. Uh, Patty, in Tay Anderson, I believe we have the youngest DPS board member, uh, so there's clearly some new fresh blood, very fresh in this case. Uh, what do you expect to see from this new board? Well, certainly with Tay, we see the start of a long political career, I think. I mean, he's going to be very interesting. I'm going to take, a, maybe it was time for the swing back for the pendulum, but I think it was the snow day fiasco the week <laughs> before had the last push at the people like, we're going to get our phone calls on time. So I would say the new board members, first thing they should do <laughs> is tackle how to decide snow days and how to let people know because those kinds of things really affect parents and kids on a very immediate level. David, as Josh mentioned, this was not the only county where uh, teachers union back candidates did well. They, I think out of all, it was, what, 14 of 16 or 15 of 16 candidates throughout the metro area won. Uh, what does this mean for uh, reforms or charters across the metro area? Well, it means uh, over the last years, the achievement gap between the Denver public schools and the rest of the state, and Denver used to be very far below the state average, they really closed that gap. Uh, but now we'll, uh, I think, move to reverse and, and widen the gap. You know, uh, the, according to the, the union, if you say that a, na a school is failing, that's like saying the community is failing. I think that's ridiculous. If a restaurant fails because it has bad food and people don't want to go there, then maybe you need to change the management of the restaurant and get some new staff. It doesn't mean the community failed. This is a new board that says no new charter schools, don't measure whether students are learning to read, and we should do student discipline according to racial quotas rather than actually individual student behavior. So it will at least help to solve the, the housing crunch in Denver because families that want quality education uh, will begin to move elsewhere. Just another issue in Colorado that we can all agree on. Uh, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Patty, as always, please start us off. Maybe we can all agree on this. Love, love the beer or hate it. Love the family's politics or hate it. Coors has been, it's in D Colorado's DNA. It is, has been an intrinsic part of this state for almost as long as, Coors, as Colorado has been a state. And to have the headquarters of Coors now leaving and going to Chicago of all places, um, it's just a sad day. It's great that they're going to put some money, allegedly, into the Golden Brewery, which will stay open. But uh, family's not happy about this. Beer drinkers aren't happy about this. I'm sure somewhere Burt Reynolds isn't happy about it with Smokey and the Bandit being one of Coors's great hallmarks. I love that we can be the show with the kind of references that would include uh, everything that David brought up and Smoking the Bandit. Well, I was going to well bring up Harold Stason. <laughs> <laughs> David. 
Well, yesterday was uh, Victims of Communism Day, and it, it celebrates the, uh, uh, this year the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. So the disgrace is still the large number of useful idiots uh, who defend communism and pretend that Marxism in practice is any different from Hitlerism. Eric. Colorado Gives Day is an incredible institution in this state. It raises a lot of money for a lot of worthy nonprofits. But I have to say, the glut of emails, which is just starting, we have a month to go, is out of control. And the timing of it, you roll right out of political season and all the glut of mail that that uh, generates, and you roll right into Colorado Gives Day. And there ought to be, somebody ought to come up with a, uh, an app that's auto-delete for all of these begging emails. <laughs> This uh, message brought to you by uh, Channel 12, which is a proud member of Colorado <laughs> Gives Day on December 10th. <laughs> Josh. You know, they say that uh, you can tell a lot by how somebody um, loses. I would say you can tell even more by how they win. And unfortunately, um, uh, Thornton City Council member Adam Mikowski did not win well. He posted shortly after the election results came in on several people's, uh, including his opponent's Facebook page, um, how, do you, how you like me now with a YouTube video <laughs> and a I win again. I believe that is uh, unbecoming the dignity of his office. Here, here. Time to say something nice about somebody. Patty? Uh, we, let's see, last week I touted Denver Arts Week, which lasts one more day, but there are several things that will continue, and very close to where we film the show, at Redline Gallery, there's a fabulous show by Detour, Thomas Evans, which is envisioning a music group, the Five Pointers, in Five Points a century from now, and it just brings back everything that it has been great about Five Points, the jazz lineage, when this was the Harlem of the West. It is a wonderful show, and it lasts a month. David. My former Grayland Country Day School classmate, Chris Romer, also a former state senator and for a long time a leading voice uh, for improving uh, public education in Colorado, was, uh, recently, was elected uh, on Tuesday to the Colorado Mountain College uh, Board of Trustees, and I think he'll be a, a strong voice for quality education. Eric. Temple Emanuel in Pueblo, Colorado, and the whole community of Pueblo that uh, rallied around that credible and um, atrocious uh, threat that emerged earlier this week. Uh, hate is out there. Anti-Semitism is one form of it. Uh, and uh, we're playing with fire in this country. Josh. We talk a lot about the 60% of the voters that didn't show up in Colorado to vote. I just want to give a shout-out to the 40% who did, who exercised their mm -hmm. civic duty, um, cast that ballot for their candidate or their issue. Thank you for showing up. You're here. A couple things before we go tonight. The Both Sides of the Story Debate Tournament continues with our next semifinal round next Friday. Aidan Welsh from Holy Family High School and Maddie Holloman from George Washington High School debate if Colorado citizens should have the right to vote on every state tax increase proposal. I wonder where we got that idea. That's going to be next Friday at 7.30. Next, uh, brought to you by a special promo from Eric Sonderman, Colorado Gives Day is December 10th, and you can schedule your gift and your email to Eric to CPT12 right now. Count, you count on us for great programming like Colorado Inside Out. Can we count on you for your support to Colorado Gives Day? If you schedule your gift today, we won't send you any emails. And that's probably a pretty good deal. Go to cpt12.org for details. That is indeed all the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everybody here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.